So we're continuing on. So the ultimate aim of the New Testament, of Christ's coming and the apostles' teachings and ministries, is that we will know God in this life, that we'll serve and love him and do his will, and then we will be ready for the eternal afterlife. So that's what he has in mind for us. Fellowship with God now, permanent fellowship in heaven. As we overcome in our warfare, we finish the race, we walk our pilgrimage, and we endure to the end. We prove our loyalty to the Lord through anything that comes our way. And the Lord has promised us he will not allow us to be tempted more than we're able to bear. But if we make provision for the flesh, that cancels that out. It's only to those who follow him and to be led of him. If you're stubborn and willful, you don't get the promises of God. A double-minded person. James says, don't let him think he'll receive anything from the Lord. So often it's determined on how the Christian yields and continually walks and obeys the Lord. Okay. So as we've seen, he wants this for us, and he's done this through Christ Jesus and accomplished all of these prophecies and promises. And now Jesus returned to the Father. He is the Father. He's the Almighty God. Paul says the Spirit of the Lord is him. Jesus is the Spirit. So that's why he told them, disciples, he said, I'm with you. That's before he died. He said, but I will be in you. He said, I'll send you another comforter. It's him as the spirit. It's him as God. So when we speak of Christ in us, we're not talking about his humanity. We're talking about his Godhead. He could not indwell the apostles while he was on earth because he was confined to a human body. He laid aside the use of his divinity. But now that he's ascended and his glory's been given to him, he's one with the Godhead, and he can live in them. So he is the everlasting Father. He is the Spirit of God. He is God Almighty, okay? And he's always been that way in his spiritual state, not in his human state. He was given a separate body and personality as he was human, and He didn't lose that. So he has both his full humanity now as an intercessor in heaven bodily, but he's still the eternal God, okay? So back that up a little bit. This is the last epistle of Paul. It was written in about 67 AD. He was imprisoned under the emperor Nero. Nero was persecuting Christians in Rome seeking to stop the spread of Christianity. During that time, within this year or the next, him and Peter were both martyred under Nero's rule, okay? Uh, But it didn't stop anything. So all uh, Nero did was throw water on the oil. What do you do if you have an oil fire? You throw water on it, it just makes it spread. It don't put it out. Uh And that's what was happening spiritually when he persecuted Christians and they spread out and proclaimed the gospel wherever they went. He didn't confine them in one area. He couldn't take care of all. And God made sure that he didn't. He made provision. He worked miraculously, uh, we see, to save Paul at times, because it wasn't his appointed time. 
But then when he was to be martyred, it was the appointed time, and God did not protect him from death. It's believed, many people believe he, his head was chopped off. Well, anyway, he was put to death, and Peter was crucified upside down as he requested. Okay, so we see there is no counsel or wisdom against the Lord. The gospel did not rest in one or two Christians. God calls, he equips, and he spreads his news through the world. And he said there'll be people from every tribe and nation and tongue that'll be Christians. Uh, He will have some. And those who've not heard the gospel, God will judge them according to their conscience, and he has a standard for them. He's not going to send anybody to hell because they didn't hear the gospel. Paul said he'll judge, excuse them, or accuse them by their conscience. And so he's holding them at a lesser level. And the man's conscience tells him to murder and commit adultery. These are wrong. He knows this. And to worship fake earth godly. Many heathen that never heard the gospel wouldn't do that. They believed there was a supreme being. See, they got that from Adam and Eve. They got that from Noah. But when they get the gospel, then they're held responsible. If they reject the gospel, they cannot be covered by their conscience. And ultimately, the Lord's blood sees to it all under every dispensation, whether it's conscience, government, or law, or the gospel, he will judge accordingly and fairly. Okay, Cornelius was a righteous Gentile, and the angel came and said, I've come because of your good deeds. He didn't say you're a filthy sinner. He said you're a good man, and God honors this. And then he sent Peter to preach the gospel to him, and he accepted it immediately. And 12 people in his household got saved and filled with the Spirit immediately. They didn't have to repent. They were already living righteously according to their conscience and the law. And that's what happened when Paul went on Sabbaths to proclaimed the gospel, he went to the synagogues for two or three Sabbaths, and he always got a few of them that came. And when Jesus called, six of the apostles came from John. They didn't come and say, I'm a filthy sinner. They were righteous according to the law. John the Baptist taught them repentance and get ready. Clean yourself up for the Lord's coming. And that's what they did and could do under the law. They just moved into the newer dispensation. They recognized who Christ was. And then he cleansed from their past and gave them his spirit when he resurrected. So he knows where people were. And so he did this in various synagogues. There are still righteous Gentiles that have never heard the gospel. There's somewhere, might be a few of them. And God judges them according to what they've been given. And he has different standards, a lower standard. Scripture says he winks at their ignorance because they don't have the gospel. There's no place in Scripture where God sends people to hell for not hearing the gospel. Revelations and James basically imply it's the ones that are disobedient to the gospel who do not obey. That means they don't yield to it, but they've heard the gospel. Okay, Those are the ones that God will judge severely if they reject the gospel once it's been given to them under inspiration, okay? Most people that heard the gospel and even heard the true gospel under inspiration, most of them don't come to the Lord. 
They resist it. And Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light. They will not come to the light. He didn't say they cannot come because he said, but those that are righteous. He didn't say those that got saved. He's talking about the people of the world and everybody else. He said, those who live righteously will come to the light because they want their deeds to be confirmed and that they want to serve God Almighty. So they have the ability, the choice. But he said, as a whole, mankind likes their sins. They like darkness. They like the pleasures. They don't want to be bothered. So as we've said before, the sinner is like a roach. Anytime the light comes on, he flees and hides. Christians are more like the moth. Every time they see the light, they're drawn closer to it. And that's what a Christian's supposed to do. Okay, and so in verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did. And as I constantly remember you in my prayers day and night. The second part we'll get into, but he's praying consistently for Timothy because he's in prison. Timothy's in Ephesus and doing the work of a shepherd and ultimately an apostle. So he has a, a more mature ministry and Paul consistently prays for him. And he'll tell us later he considers him his son and a co-worker and so forth. So he's very close. It's believed he converted Timothy, okay? So he says, I serve with a clear conscience. Well, people don't like that. If a Christian doesn't have a clear conscience, he's double-minded, and he will not receive anything from the Lord. Clear conscience keeps us in a right place where we have a high priest to use if we defile it, if we sin, if we do something wrong, that's what we're given a high priest for. And if we persist in something, then the high priest will chasten us. He said, chastening is grievous. But he said, it's for one reason. It's so the person will stop sinning. Because he said, for without holiness, no man's going to see the Lord. He's talking to Christians. Uh -huh. So God will work with the rebellious for a while. But if he persists in it, he'll cut them off. So he's not putting up with adulterers and liars for years and years uh, as a Christian. No, that's not happening. When Jesus warned the backsliders and the ones around, he said, repent quickly, lest I take the lampstand, lest I remove myself from you. Told the same thing to lay out of sins. I want to spew you out of my mouth. You make me sick to my stomach. He's not going to stay with those type too long. He'll give them space but then he's going to deal very severely. So he's thankful for God's past grace and God's providential care for him while he was a Jew, uh, while he was a Pharisee. And evidently he was a good Pharisee. He kept the law the best he could. And so he had a clear conscience now, and he kept it that way. So a Christian must maintain a conscience free from guilt and the accusation of sin. The only way to do that is confession and repentance of sin and to make the conscience clear again. But the person who keeps persisting and repeating what the Spirit tells them to stop doing, he's going to start to chasten them. And if they don't respond, he will chasten them grievously. So it's painful. It's not pleasant. But ultimately, it's what? Catch their attention you either stop your sinning, you know, I'll keep punishing you, 
And then if you study Proverbs and Psalms, his principles still apply. He that is often reproved stiffens his neck. He gets arrogant and rebellious toward the Lord. He don't like being beat. He don't like being caused grief, but he won't conform. And he says, he that is often reproved stiffens his neck and he will be cut off and without remedy. And God told the Israelites, if you sin, I'll punish you. And if you sin seven times, I'll punish you. The punishment was they'll stop the sinning. That's ultimately what the purpose is. And he says the chasing is grievous, but it produces holiness. He said, because without this, you're not going to see the Lord. And Paul makes it very plain in his teachings, if you live any kind of gross sin and you're in the habit of it and practicing it, he says, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. He doesn't say how many times you were born again. He doesn't say how many times you've seen the Lord. He said, if you live that lifestyle, you're not going to make it into heaven. Makes it very plain. There is no license to sin. There is no grace that covers everything. Uh -uh. You don't find that in scripture. You find that by false shepherds. Okay, First John, and we go here a lot. We will continually go there. We live in a dark age, and we need to be reminded of many of these things. That was the whole purpose of Peter's epistle, was he's going to die soon, and I want you to remind you what you already know, and that's what we do. That's exhortation, okay? First John, First John 3, verse 20 to 22. For if our spirit, our conscience, that's what heart means, if our conscience condemns us, God is greater than our conscience. He sees more than your conscience sees. Your conscience can be defiled or limited in knowledge. But he says God sees everything, okay? And he knows everything. And he says, so beloved, fellow Christian, if our conscience does not condemn us, it will. You'll hear a lot of greasy grace teachers, when people fall under condemnation, they'll say, oh, we're not under condemnation. Yes, you are if you're sinning. See, they want to lie to people and tell them, oh, don't pay attention to it, it's the devil, because you've been saved and your spirit's cleansed. But if you're still living in that sin, you're subject to it. You are under condemnation. Because the Spirit of God and grace is to let you live above sin. It is not to cover and excuse sin. See, that's where they're false shepherds. Okay. And he says, and if your conscience does not judge you, accuse you, he said, then we have confidence or faith toward God. See, that's why Christians, the prayers can't get answered because they don't have a clear conscience. They're asking and wishing and desiring but they have no faith because if your conscience ain't right and there's sin, you cannot have true faith with God. You're just having positive thinking. That's all you're having. And it won't always work. Okay. And whatsoever, if you have that kind of faith and your conscience does not accuse you, he said, whatever we ask, we receive from him. And he gives the reason. He said, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. See, many are trying to exercise faith when they don't live right. They're carnal. They're worldly. You can't get nothing from the Lord. You're double-minded. All your prayers are selfish. You're not seeking God's kingdom or God's will. You're in a bless me game. 
You're in a, oh, prosper me and make me healthy and wealthy. You're still of the world and of the kingdom of the devil. So that's what happens. And people say, well, God don't answer my prayers. Well, of course he does it. Do you have a clear conscience? Are you living? I used to counsel a lot of, and I'd ask them when they'd say, I've been praying. About, and I'd say, well, I try to think of something and the Lord would give me something. I said, is there somebody you're not forgiving that's a Christian? Oh, yeah, I could never forgive him. I said, then you'll never make it to heaven. They'd hang up on me. <laughs> I said, got the word. Uh, they want another counselor that'll lie to them and tell them that God loves them no matter what they do. God has goodwill toward everybody, but he'll send them to hell. And the majority of mankind's going there because they won't serve the Lord. He has goodwill for God so loved the world. But that kind of love is not going to get him into heaven. For Jesus also said, a few sentences later, if you do not obey, believe in Christ and submit to him, the wrath of God remains on you. His anger and contempt against you, and he's storing up wrath and judgment, and one day everything you've done, you're going to answer for. It's his long-suffering and putting off your judgment that is the portion of God's long-suffering, and that's love. But just because God loves you, don't think you're going to make it into the kingdom. He loves everybody. He has goodwill for them. But he also says he despises the wicked sinner. He despises their soul. But he hasn't cut them off and sent them to hell, so they're still under grace. And so we need to understand God is not what people want him to be. They need to find out there is the fear of the Lord and the holiness of God. And that's a part of his love for his own holiness and nature. And he don't forfeit that for anybody. He don't desire to, okay? He desires righteousness and holiness. So not having a pure conscience will affect negatively our prayers, our practical faith, and our fellowship with God. And you notice he said, uh, we know here, and he said, we have confidence toward him. That whatever we ask. See, you already have that confidence. You don't have to drum up the faith because a clear conscience and following the Lord gives you that faith. You don't have to pray for that kind of faith. You already have it because you trust the Lord's word and he's guiding you. See, you're in a different system then. You got to need to understand that. So having a clear conscience is very important. And if you have a clear conscience when you pray, it says, we know. It means in faith, because I have a clear conscience, and I do to please the Lord and keep his commandments, that he hears me, because he said he'd hear me if I do that. Well, most people and professing Christians don't fulfill that condition. So all of their praying is positive thinking and wishful thinking, and they're not going to get anything. And if they get their prayers answered, sometimes the devil answers them to bind them in their sin and their greed and their selfishness. Mm -hmm. Like the children of Israel, God was trying to discipline them and train them, and he was feeding them manna. And after a while, and it was from heaven, and they didn't like it after a while. We miss our onions and cucumbers in Egypt. We miss this and that. And finally, they complained so much, God sent them flocks and flocks of quail. And it said they ate quail for almost a month until it was coming out their nose. 
And then he said the most strongest ones, the leaders and the complainers, he said he destroyed them. So there was consequences of getting what you want. You persist in getting something God don't want to give you. He'll send a wasting disease, it was called. It won't work for a person's good. Okay, James. James chapter 1, 5 through 8. Yeah, we'll stay in this a while. Uh huh. If any of you lacks wisdom, he's talking to the Christian, let him ask of God who gives generously and he won't rebuke you for it. He wants you to ask for it and it will be given to him. But again, if your conscience is not right, you're not going to be able to ask and be assured. He said, but let him ask in faith. So if you don't have a clear conscience, you can't ask in faith. With no doubting, double-minded. Well, see, doubt comes because there's sin. There's something that you're doing uh, that God ain't pleased with, and he wants it stopped. Uh-huh. And you don't know if God's going to end. You're hoping he does, but you don't have no assurance. See, faith is insurance, assurance of things, that God hears me, and he'll answer according to his will. Okay, but it can't be the self involved in this. Okay, most people's praying is self, self, self. They're not interested in the kingdom of God, but that's what they were called for to be his servants in this world. Okay, and so he says, What for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven. You see, waves crash on the sea, kind of all tossed about. You see, all the sand in there and shells and everything mixed with it not a good sight. Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. Ah, he's making it very plain. You're wasting your time. Don't ask God. He ain't interested. He's interested in repentance and a clear conscience. This other stuff he's not interested in, and he's not going to answer. It's not according to his nature. So when you ask something in Jesus' name, it means in his character and who he is. And if it ain't, he ain't answering it. You're not getting God to answer selfish prayers. It would be a sin for God. He's not going to do it. He can only do it as a judgment. And he will do that at times. He said, for this person's double-minded. He's unstable in all of his ways, okay? So he's made it very clear, this clear conscience here that Paul's talking about is a very important matter, and people don't pay attention. Your conscience can be enlightened. It can be limited. The Christian has a clearer conscience and a mature, he has more liberty. He can do things that are by faith that are not directly sin. Baby Christians question things and they don't know, and so they shouldn't do things they're not assured of. The scripture says, whatever is not of faith is sin. So if they presume, like I've told people, I believe every day is the same. Every day is Sunday for the Christian. We live in an eternal Sabbath. But most Christians, and even real Christians, they think they have to observe Sunday. I don't find it scripturally. But as long as they believe that, then you better observe Sunday. And you don't just stop doing it because I tell you, you don't have to. You have to see that in Scripture, and the Spirit must make you aware of it and lighten your conscience. And otherwise, if you stop 
go on Sunday just because I told you you're sinning because your conscience hasn't got that information. See, that's wisdom and knowledge from the Lord. He has to give this at various levels. So if you think it's wrong to eat meat, then don't eat meat. But the Christian that has liberty, we can eat meat. We can drink wine. We can't get drunk. Everything is legitimate as long as it's not used for sin. All things are pure in themselves. But until the person's conscience is enlightened, and the Christian mainly, then he shouldn't do certain things until he's assured of it. Okay? And that comes by study of God's word, obedience, and seeking the Lord's will in these matters. So James, as he said, a double-minded person, they cannot have proper faith because they have doubts and questions and what if God, maybe he's not hearing me, and go through all that. And so God will not, and he cannot answer it for good, okay? For what is not of faith is sin. See, that's what he's trying to teach us, to be spiritual. Those who are led of the Lord are his sons. The spiritual can discern between good and evil. They can discern these things as they grow up in the Lord, the mature Christian. That's why we are to all be brought to that maturity. There is no immature Christian that's been a Christian 30 and 40 years. He got the wrong gospel. He's a backslider. You're not no baby Christian for 20 and 30 years. You're ignorant, and you didn't apply yourself. Even if you didn't have a teacher, you're inexcusable. You got Bibles everywhere. You can be on your knees seeking the Lord, and he'll give you more information and more wisdom. But I've heard people say, well, I didn't get that, and I've been a Christian 30 years. I said, you ain't been a Christian 30 years. You got the wrong gospel, or you backslid somewhere. Do I make it plain? Of course, they don't like that one. So just to hang up the phone also. So again, whatever is not of faith is said. So we pray for God's help and things, and we must be in right standing. We cannot be in known sin that the Holy Spirit's made us aware we don't like. We cannot be walking in disobedience. We cannot have a defiled conscience. I look at that scripture almost every day, and I, and I pray. He said he's coming for a church without spot or wrinkle. That means you're not walking today in disobedience. You're not in habits or things that you ain't made right, and God has not given up on it. So you got a lot of professing Christians that maybe were once Christians, but they don't give in to the Lord. And they try to please him by giving more money or doing this or that. Don't work that way in the spiritual kingdom. If God is to be obeyed on one commandment, he's to be obeyed in everything. You think about that. That's a hard saying, but it's the truth. Okay. So the forefathers he was talking about, the old patriarchs and prophets, they held on to God by faith and obedience. We know about Abraham, the father of faith. Paul, being taught in the ways of the law and prophets, he was a good Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he said. That's why the high priest trusted him with letters to persecute the Christian. You don't see the high priest giving a letter to anybody else. 
because he excelled as a Jew and as a Pharisee. Okay. If regarding sin and accusing conscience, that means that one cannot please God. And what did James say? You'll not receive anything from the Lord. Nothing. Old Testament still applies. God said if one regards iniquity in their heart, they practice a habit of something they know that's wrong, he knows God will not hear him. Oh, he hears everything, but he won't hear to answer. God is everywhere, hears everything, will bring everything into judgment, everything. But he will not hear the prayers of the sinner or the backslider. You know, only prayer he'll listen to is the prayer of confession and repentance. He's not interested in nothing else. Mm -hmm. So we need to learn that. So we see here, we're still in verse 3. I'm constantly remembering you, who? Timothy, night and day, okay? Now, Paul reminds Timothy that he keeps praying for him. And remember, Paul is in prison, and he's desiring, in several places he mentions, he wants Timothy to come and see him. So we don't know what conditions totally are going on, and he's encouraging him. We'll see later, he expects Timothy to bear the same suffering and persecution as him. And he tells him to be a good soldier. He ain't talking to no novice or no babe here, okay? Okay. So it's, it's interesting for a fact, he says night and day. You know, he didn't say, I pray for you day and night. It, this may not matter. But I often think in Genesis, when the Lord creates things in six days, each day when he finishes, the Bible says it's the evening and the morning of the day, okay, with the same day. So the Jews in Israel still, they count the day starting from sunset and to the previous sunset is where the day starts, okay? So the evening, they don't mention the morning first. Uh So the next day is just part of after sunset is the new day. That's how you'll see it on some of your calendars. It'll say Yom Kippur the day before, the evening sunset before, and then it continues to the next day till sunset. Then that's the full day as far as it's concerned. Okay. Of course, Christians, we can observe every day we want to. We can meet anytime we want to. We're not bound by days and moons and months and holidays. We're not bound by them. We live in an eternal Sabbath. Okay, verse four. I'm longing to see you even as I recall your tears, so they had good fellowship and they missed each other, so that I may be filled with joy by having you back here, your presence. So in his prayers to Timothy, he wants him to come and meet with him. He probably going to give him more instructions. Paul knows his time is limited now, and Timothy's going to have to do the work of an apostle in, in Ephesus and other areas. He's going to be a, a, a leader over other uh, pastors and teachers in that community. He's going to be an authority, okay? So Timothy was not only converted by him, he considers him his spiritual son, his brother, and his co-worker in the Lord. So he was very close to him. Okay, verse 5. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, 
and I'm sure that is in you as well. Okay, so he remembers the untarnished faith that Timothy has. That faith was in your grandmother and your mother, okay? They were Jewish, but they may have been Jewish converts. Their names are not Jewish, but they were Christians, but they may not have been in the beginning, but they were devout, and they were Jews, if not Christians, but they were devout before the Lord and the knowledge they had. And so when he converted Timothy, Timothy came into the true faith, okay? But he said that's been there to your mother and your grandmother. And so he's saying, if you listen to my teaching, I'm going to give you the right right thing. I tell people that sometimes. This thing about Lois and where they came from, you can find that in commentaries. You can find that. I don't spend my time expounding on those things. When I teach the word, I may teach word by word, but I'm going to exhort and I'm going to speak on other subjects because people need exhortation, teaching, and hopefully some prophecy comes true because that's the dark time. These other things you can search for on yourself. If you're a maturing Christian, look for them. I'm not going to be la- uh, make you lazy and give it to you. It's not my place. I'm going to give you what's practical for the age we live in and what will keep you eternally from falling away and serving the Lord. I'm going to deal more with what holiness is. These other facts are facts, and you can study them and piece them together. But they're not going to make a difference on certain things. But living righteously and holy will, okay? It'll affect you positively or negatively if you don't do it. So my charge from the Lord is to present scripture that deals uh, with practical holiness, obedience, and things that help us to do the Lord's will in, in this perverse dark age that we are entering. See. We don't need to hear a lot of this stuff that's not discerning the times. We need to be concerned more with warfare, the devil taking over, the Antichrist coming, and prepare ourselves to live in a corrupt, dark world and not just feed our mind with some facts that aren't going to help you spiritually. But if you got time, fine, study, get a commentary. You want to search out who these people were? Go do that, okay? I have no problem with that, but I'm not going to do it here, okay? So the things that we can study, which are more important, will will get us into the kingdom. All of this other stuff, who was the eighth king of Israel? Who was the fifth Jew? That ain't going to get you into heaven or out of heaven, but living godly will. And live in dark uh, will get you out, okay? So we need to understand that. I don't know who the fifth king of Israel is. When I read it, I remember it. I don't know who the tenth king of Judah was. But if you want to find out, go study it. But that doesn't help me in my practical warfare and my pilgrimage, okay? So these things one can study and pursue on your own, and that's fine, okay? But they won't keep you out of the kingdom, okay? Not dealing with the world, the flesh, and the devil will keep you out of the kingdom. Sound doctrine, which is sound teaching, always leads to godly living and practical holiness and serving the Lord. 
All else is mere knowledge and information. It's neutral. Don't matter if it's scriptural or not. It ain't going to do you a bit of good if you're not holy before the Lord. All that information will judge you. Because as you read that and you're not applying it, the day of judgment, the person the Lord said, well, you had that. You just didn't want to obey it. And much is given, much is required. So I tell people, if you're not going to obey the Lord as a Christian, don't study scripture. Don't pray. Because it's not going to do you a bit of good. And the Lord's going to judge you more severely. See, Jesus said, I wouldn't you be hot or cold. If you're going to be in between, I'm going to kick you off the fence. I'm going to spew you out of my system. Uh So we need to deal with sound teaching always leads to godly living. So if you have people teaching greasy grace and once saved, they're teaching a false gospel. And they're going to miss the kingdom. They're going to stand speechless and claiming faith in Jesus And Jesus said, the multitudes will say, Lord, Lord. They believe he's the Lord. They believe he died on a cross and resurrected. They just don't follow him. And Jesus said, I never knew you. See, you had knowledge of God's word, but you didn't follow the Lord. He said, I never knew you. He didn't even say you were a backslider. He said, I never knew you. You worked of lawlessness. You obeyed the devil, the world, and the flesh. You did not do the will of my Father. He didn't say you did not believe. Well, you're calling me Lord. You must believe. But Jesus said, why call me Lord, Lord, if you do not do what I tell you to do? See, he doesn't say, and all judgments will not basically be based on just believing. And most false Christians think it's just believing. Mm -hmm. If you study all the judgments of God, And the judgments to come, they're based on works, on spiritual works. See, that's why James was so good. And Paul agreed with him. He said, if you're under grace, you think you can sin and live like you want. He said, don't you know, it's whomever you obey, that's who your master is. Well, that shakes their grace and faith of the greasy graces. So he didn't say you're saved by grace alone. And he never said that. That's a heresy. Let's finish here. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us practical application. Cause us to see the truth and deal with the things you deal with. In Jesus' name, amen.